Hello, everyone. Welcome to my show. Autumn is here. I'm Francine Crawford, your host. And today we have a, a, a segment about Alzheimer's. And we're going to speak to Dr. Ase Tutu. And he was here before, so you should recognize him. And we're glad to have him here on our show tonight. Thank you for coming, doctor. How are you doing Thank today? You. I'm well by the grace of God. Good, good, good. Well, we want to um, we want to talk about um, Alzheimer's. We know that it's part of dementia, and we want to get a, a medical perspective on Alzheimer's. We've talked about Alzheimer's on the show, but not from a medical perspective. So we want to get a medical perspective. So how would you like to to start to talk about Alzheimer's? And dementia? okay, so what I would like to do is you know uh, start talking about how a patient may come to uh, medical attention. Okay. Usually, you know, it's the family who detect the subtle changes in the patient's behavior. Okay. Oftentimes, the patient who is affected by Alzheimer's may be oblivious to what is going on. Mm-hmm. And family members may, you know, notice things that are, you know, uh, not normal. And a lot of times, these patients may resist seeing a doctor. Okay. So, usually it's a family member who maybe, you know, brag the patient to see, you know, a doctor. And a lot of times, you know, these patients are, you know, initially, you know, uh, before I even go into the symptoms and, you know, the diagnosis, I would like to first talk about uh, the risk factors. Okay. Age is the number one risk factor. Anybody, you know, who is 65 years or older, you know, uh, has a greater degree of developing Alzheimer's than somebody who is much younger. Although there's a, uh, a younger version of the disease that I'll touch on briefly. Okay. Uh, at age 65 or older, your risk of de- uh, developing Alzheimer's doubles every five years. Okay, so age is a very significant risk factor. Uh, next to age is uh, there are these abnormal genes. You know, I'm not, there's a technical name for it, which I'll not you know, bother you with, but they are you know, abnormal genes. If you have one or two of these genes, it increases your risk of developing Alzheimer's. Okay. And then third in line would be Family history. If you have a, a strong family history of Alzheimer's disease, you are at the risk. Mm-hmm. Female sex, for whatever reason, you know, is also a risk factor. Mm. Then stroke, if you've had a stroke before, it's a risk factor. Head injury, is also a risk factor. And then, you know, the last risk factor will be cardiovascular disease, heart disease, you know, that sort of thing. Okay. So usually, you know, the patient, you know, the, the disease is very insidious, but progressive. Insidious means it's very subtle. Mm-hmm. And if one does not pay attention, they may miss the beginning signs of Alzheimer's disease. Oftentimes, you know, one of the cardinal manifestations of Alzheimer's is uh, forgetfulness. Mm-hmm. 
patients may start to forget about, you know, simple things. They may start, you know, for, uh, the misplacing things. And, you know, they may, uh, forget, you know, doing, you know, things like paying bills, you know, ordinary things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes they may get lost, you know, driving, even to familiar places. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, when they are in unfamiliar places, they may, you know, uh, become very disoriented. Okay. okay. So these are all symptoms of that. And then, um, one of the very important things that one can also see in people with Alzheimer's is, uh, they may have difficulty expressing themselves, you know, like word finding, you know, and sometimes also, uh, they have problem with organization. They become disorganized. Okay. You know, right. so all these are, you know, uh, manifestations of Alzheimer's disease. There's also a, a psychological component whereby sometimes these patients may become depressed, especially if they recognize the def- their deficits. They may become depressed, anxious, apathetic, and you know sometimes even agitated. You know, can but it's you. Go ahead. Can I, can I ask from a um, uh, medical pers- perspective? When these things are happening, what's happening actually inside of them? Like, is okay, it is so, attacking their brain in, in what way? Yeah, I'll, I'll go into that in just a minute. Okay. I'll go into that in just a minute. There's a particular protein that is, you know, it's called amyloid. Okay. That, and there are two types of protein that are, you know, uh, infiltrating the brain and causing, you know, uh, like, uh, nerve connection or, you know, transmission of information, you know, interfering with that. So okay. that's the underlying pathophysiology. But I'll address that in a few So, um, Usually people with Alzheimer's disease will not have problem with their movements unless, you know, in the advanced stages of the disease where they may have some problem with you know, movement and coordination and that stuff. Okay. So usually when a patient, a family member sees one of the I mean, patients, they may say, oh, the patient, you know, our loved one may have dementia. Let's go and see a doctor or a neurologist. Mm. Essentially, you know, like with any medical diagnosis, you have to get a very, very good history. In instance, uh, the patient or the subject, you know, is usually not helpful because, you know, they have memory and whatever. So the family member who, you know, lives with them would be very key in providing the information as to why they think the patient may be having some kind of dementia. So usually, you know, the uh, evaluation begins with a good, you know, a thorough history from a family member, and then the doctor will do a physical exam. And this is like, you know, medicine 101. Based on these two pieces of information, the doctor may have a heightened degree of suspicion that the patient may have dementia. One of the common things that we'll do is ask the patient simple questions. Uh, give the patient maybe, uh, 
tell the patient to count from one to 10. Mm-hmm. And they may not be able to do that. Or tell the patient to come count backwards from, say, 10 to 1. They may not be able to do that. Tell the patient to add you know, two, two, two things and give you the answer. They may not be able to do that. Okay. And, you know, oftentimes we'll add, ask them to, you know, like, uh, identify certain objects. Like you put a clock in front of them. Ask them, what is this? <laughs> They may not be able to tell you what it is. You know, simple, simple things. Simple, reg- regular, normal things. Regular, normal things. Mm-hmm. All these things are building up to the diagnosis of dementia. Mm-hmm. Now, dementia, there are about five different types of dementia. And any one of these types can be the same presentation. However, IMS, you know, dementia has you know, unique features that is distinguishable from the other types of dementia. Mm-hmm. Usually Alzheimer's will present initially the, the cardinal feature of Alzheimer's in the dementia, at least initially at presentation, is the memory problem and the forgetfulness. Mm-hmm. In other dementia, memory would be the last, you know, the, the end or an advanced stage of the disease. But Alzheimer's usually will present with memory issues earlier on mm-hmm. than other dementias. So the history and the physical exam, you know, one of the things that you're also looking for is maybe diseases that are uh, remediable or correctable. So you have to put that in your differential, being that Alzheimer's is by and large not a, a reversible disease. So you always have to make sure that you no, know, what the patient is manifesting is not something that is correctable. For instance, you know, sometimes people can have dementia because of a vitamin deficiency, or even third syphilis can present as dementia. It's a form of dementia. Mm-hmm. So in the workup, you know, oftentimes we do B12 and B vitamin B12 and B6 level, check syphilis serology, because these things are correctable. So uh, in terms of you know, the diagnosis, the physical exam, the history and the physical exam is going to help you, you know, uh, make a generic diagnosis of dementia, but really pin down the diagnosis of uh, Alzheimer's. MRI is very, very important. And usually do an MRI, you have to see what is called a general uh, generalized loss of brain volume. In other words, the size of the brain is going to be you know, smaller. But even more importantly, there's this area of the brain called the hippocampus. And if you see the hippocampus, uh, the volume of the hippocampus, smaller relative to the overall size of the brain, mm-hmm. it, it, it almost confirms the diagnosis of Alzheimer's. Almost. Not 100%. Almost. That's key. So MRI is very important. The other thing that is also very important is sometimes the MRI may be normal, even though you, you have a high of suspicion that the patient may still uh, Alzheimer's. In that instance, you do a test called the PET scan. 
The PET scan is a functional scan where we inject a special uh, glucose labeled the parietal lobe and the temporal lobe of the brain on both sides. The function is diminished. That's another telltale sign of uh, Alzheimer's. Okay. Then, you know, on, on top of that, sometimes we also do a spinal tap where we put a needle between, I mean, and get uh, fluid. Mm -hmm. This fluid is the same fluid that based the brain. And when we do that, we are looking for two proteins. Uh, I don't want to bore, uh, I mean, bother you with the names of the proteins, but one of the proteins, if it's low, and the other protein is high, mm -hmm. It's highly sensitive of Alzheimer's. Uh, know someone who um, they were fine, they were well, they were okay. They got uh, sick in the hospital, um, a, a physical sickness, like they broke their hand or something. And then while they was in the hospital or actually went to a rehab, they got a UTI. And when they got the UTI, mm -hmm. um, they they didn't know at first they had it, but they were acting different. They were acting strange. They're, they're um, up in their 80s and they were acting strange and, and things like that. And then when they discovered mm -hmm. that they had a UTI, they realized why they were acting not like themselves in their brain. They said it, it affected them. Yeah. So they took, yes. a, took them to the hospital and, and they treated it. But after that, she started forgetting. Now, she was up, you know, she was very conscious and and she knew who everybody was. but after that she started forgetting she started her memory started mm -hmm. going that that affects like the uti and and someone older affects their brain in that way that it can affect their memory no oh most elderly people most elderly, they have any acuteness and have you know, problem with your uh, memory. And once you treat the acute symptom, acute whatever, UTI, pneumonia, mm -hmm. you know, any acute medical problem can, you know, cause them to have memory issues or uh, not act right. And once you treat that, usually the memory issues will go away. Go away, okay. So okay. after okay. this patient was treated and the memory symptoms did not go away, you have to look deeper. Mm, okay. Could she have had a stroke in yeah. the course of while she was in the hospital, mm. right? For something to present acutely like that, especially when she was always, you know, fine and usual state of health, right. you wonder if there was something acute that occurred while she was in the hospital. Okay. And a patient like that, you know, you have to make sure they didn't have a stroke. So I'll, I'll definitely, I'll definitely do an MRI of the brain to make sure something is going up. Okay. Something acutely, you know, is going on. Okay. So once you are diagnosed with um with Alzheimer's or dementia, once you are diagnosed with it, what mm -hmm. what are some of the um treatment that they give you to do? Um I know there's no cure yet, mm -hmm. but what are there I'm sure there are treatments for people to to get. What are some of the treatments? Right. Okay, so, you know, I'm in medicine, okay, 
you always want to, you know, a, a lot of people don't understand, especially patients, some doctors. There's one, you know, yes, you are trained, you have a degree, you can prescribe whatever, but you always want to just oppose the benefits of any type of treatment or intervention vis-a-vis -vis the harm that it can cause. And usually if the, the benefits outweigh the risks or the harm, go for it. Okay. If it's 50-50, you have to have a good conversation with the patient. You know, this is, this is it. You know, and, you know, support whatever the, you know, decision the patient makes. If the risk or harm outweighs the benefits, don't do it. Okay. Because, you know, the, uh, the, the, the oath that we take is first do no harm. So if at any point in time your intervention is going to cause harm to a patient, that's when you, where you draw the line. Uh, the treatment for Alzheimer's, okay, there's a medication um, in the brain. The thing that helps us with memory retention is called acetylcholine. It's a, it's a, it's a chemical. That is what you know, helps us with our memory. So the thinking is, and acetylcholine, when it's produced, is then broken down by an enzyme. You know, there's an enzyme that breaks it down and then it's recycled or whatever. So the belief is, and whether it's true or not, you know, I'm not sure. The belief is anybody who is having memory problem, maybe if we could find a way to increase the, their brain acetylcholine levels, mm -hmm. then we can stem the tide of the memory loss or improve their memory. That's the thinking. So most of the medication that initially came out, that are being used to treat Alzheimer's, prevent this enzyme that breaks down the acetylcholine from doing that. And in so doing, elevates the level of the acetylcholine in the brain. So if you don't break down the acetylcholine, then it accumulates, right? And hopefully that is, if your theory is right, it's going to help with the memory. Uh, some of these medications are more side effects. Another medication that actually two medications that came out, one as recently as uh, last month, where a lot of doctors, a lot of the expert people on the panel, FDA panel, really you know, disapproved, did not want it to come out because of the side effects or whatever. But the majority you know, rules or whatever. So the medication is out there now, and it's not cheap. It's like $26,000 a year. And then there was another medication that preceded it that also has a lot of bad side effects. And it does not, it's one thing if it has a lot of bad side effects, but then it helps the patient mm -hmm. improve their memory. And a lot of these medications, they actually don't. You know, they're very, very minimal, minimal. So your, your message is to, to when you are prescribed with medication to take care of Alzheimer's or to help Alzheimer's, you should ask what the side effects are first. Definitely. Definitely. You, and then, then make the decision of Definitely. whether you should take it. Let, have, have a straight talk with the doctor because it's not like, you know, having it, diabetes and I give you insulin or sugar pill, I know it's going to drop your sugar. Right, right. If, if I get overzealous and give you too much, you may drop your sugar 
precipitously, and then you are going to have a different problem with hypoglycemia. Mm -hmm. But this medication is really this uh, um, Alzheimer's or dementia medication at best. You know that the the um, benefits are you know, mm -hmm. are are not are not that great, and you have to you know uh, just oppose that with the side effects of the medication right. and the cost. The cost is, the cost, you know, if your loved one is sick and they need something, the cost is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. But is the medication going to help them or reverse the process? And they don't. Let me also say one thing quickly, okay? As I mentioned to you, Alzheimer's is caused by these abnormal proteins that are infiltrating the brain and they, they are called amyloid mm -hmm. and, you know, tau proteins that are, you know, messing with the activity of the brain function. So if I gave you something to elevate the chemical that we believe helps you with your memory, that chemical is not doing anything to the underlying process that is choking your brain cells and preventing your brain cells from working appropriately, right? Okay, it's so not preventing the amyloid. Right, it's so not preventing that. Right. Yeah, it's not preventing that. Right. Now, if you gave that to me or you, mm -hmm. maybe it will help because we have normal brain function, right? Right. So, and if we are normal brain function, then we don't need that, right? Right, right. So, what you are doing right now, which I think is very neat, is they are trying to come up with a monoclonal monoclonal antibodies. Okay. Monoclonal antibodies are antibodies that, I mean, supposedly would go in and remove the the bad team. Okay. Right? So that's where the thrust of the scientific um, work is right now, the monoclonal antibodies. Is there something that um, people miss with Alzheimer's? If a patient comes into you or, or that you've noticed that um, th that's missed, that's a regular normal thing that people... Uh, think you know, let people go, and they'll, they'll, and it's worse. Is it is Alzheimer's or it is dementia? I think what what is, what is what okay. So dementia is the catch-all term, and right. then under dementia, right. there are several types. Alzheimer's is the most common cause of dementia. Right. Alzheimer's is the most common cause, and the <laughs> usually is the family. The family is very, very, very important because the doctor does not live with the family, right? You, the family lives with the patient. So once the family member brings the patient in and tell the doctor, look, this is going on or all that, you know, then it could, but the doctor definitely, the doctor, because the doctor is not with the patient all the time, the patient may come in for uh, their fiscal or whatever. And initially when the disease is, first presenting, the manifestations are very subtle. And in this day and age, especially, when doctors, you know, the moment you start opening your mouth, they are writing you a prescription because you have to see so many patients. The interaction with the patient is not that, you know, extensive or meaningful. So yes, they can miss. Right. They can miss. Right. You know, they are seeing the patient every three months or they come in for their 15, 20, half an hour. Right. You so know, that's, that's why. Early on, 
Yeah, that's why we want to give people information because if your doctor doesn't um, suggest anything or, you know, you can ask the questions, you can ask questions about it. So that's why we want to give people information on it and what to look for. And um, like you said, the test that you can possibly take, because sometimes they go in and they take a test and it's, it's, um, it's, they don't refer to the PET test. They will do um, sometimes they'll do like an evaluation test. Like you said, the questions, they'll ask you questions of normal, regular things. But sometimes with dementia or Alzheimer's, you're not going through it always. So I've seen where they ask a question to someone who you know that has this and they're sitting down in the calm and they answer all the questions right. And you're like, wait, just a few minutes ago, they didn't know that. And and he took them home. (laughs) And you, you know, take them home and you and but you know something is wrong, but they yes. have so, so you have to be an advocate. You always have to go with them. And the thing is, you know, if I see some somebody, you know, so you are the one who is going to raise the high index of suspicion for the doctor, even the doctor who does not have time to see the patient because they are busy or whatever. Mm-hmm. When you go in and you say, Doc, I think that, you know my loved one may have dementia or something may be going on. At that time, you are raising the antenna and they are probably going to say, okay, let me give them a referral to go and see a neurologist. You have to see a neurologist. That's key. That's good. You have to see and this. Your family doctor is going to, they have to see a neurologist. That's good. Okay. And when you raise, when you raise that, when you raise that concern, the light bulb goes up. Mm. You no, know, it flick, it flick, it, you know, it flick, and then everybody, you know, okay, let's let's try to, you know, uh, see what is going on, and then they may run the necessary tests and detailed you know, psych- psychiatric evaluation and all that, and then make the diagnosis. So, do you um, have any optimism that there will be a cure at any time? Do you think that I, I have optimism? I have optimism, and I tell you why. Yeah, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why. When I was in training in 1984-85, in the uh, period of the AIDS crisis, uh-huh. everybody who came in, okay, I was at New York Medical College in Valhalla. When you saw a correctional officer posted in front of a ward, Usually it was a patient from Sing Sing or wherever. Mm-hmm. All right. And these patients were having diarrhea, pneumonia. In other words, you know, we only had AZT. Mm-hmm. Only one drug at that time. People right. were dying left and right. Yes. They were like skeletons. Mm. Right. I mean, I saw somebody's mouth grow, uh, fungus. Mm. At uh, Lincoln Hospital, I went there for one month, one month before I finished my training. Guy was talking and everything, you know, was shooting, you know, AIDS guy, okay? And compared to now, and then we had like probably 32 medication cocktail. Mm-hmm. Right. Right? That was keeping people alive or what? And now we only have one, one. that has two medications. And yeah. people are living... A normal, healthy life. Look at Magic Johnson. Yes, yes. Right? Magic Johnson contracted a yes. HIV in He's healthy as hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You look at this. 
leukemia, childhood cancers. Now, you know, most of them are curable. So I'm very optimistic, you know, that we are going to find yours. I'm very, very optimistic. Okay. That's, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. And you're yeah, right. Very sometimes sometimes yeah. we have to re remind ourselves how far science has come and how many oh, yes. things that have oh, been, yes. you know, people thought it was a death sentence and now yeah. they have pills and medicines that will, you know, prolong yeah. your life or cure it. So, or, you yeah. know, let you live with it. So, so that's, that's really positive and um, optimistic. Yeah. I'm glad yeah. that you mentioned that. So um, is there right. anything else that you would like to say to somebody who's dealing with Alzheimer's or um, has a, a, a loved one that's dealing with Alzheimer's, um, any kind of anything that you would like to add to look for or, you know, any help out? Well, when the disease is established, you know, mm -hmm. then they, they have to have a, a good family support system mm -hmm. because this is a progressive disease and, you know, they are going to get increasingly worse. And it's really, uh, I wouldn't say a burden, but it's taxing mm, on yeah. you know, people who you know, care for loved ones who have Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I would mention before I, I mean, we, we conclude is, is the belief of uh, a lot of the experts believe that having cardiovascular disease you know, increases your risk for uh, Alzheimer's and cardiovascular disease, the predisposing factors to cardiovascular diseases. Mm -hmm. Majority of the predisposing factors are high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, and cigarette smoking. So if you can minimize your risk factors for these cardiovascular you know, disease risk factors, it may help you to prevent Alzheimer's. Wow. Those are preventable things, right? You don't smoke, you have diabetes, you control it. You have high blood pressure, you control it. Mm -hmm. You have high cholesterol, you control it. Yes. You know, they may you know, lower your risk factor yes. of getting, you know, Alzheimer's because it's been, it's been, it's one of the risk factors associated with Alzheimer's disease, you know. Okay. Wow, that's that's good information. So yeah, that's what we we know we have to work on that. We have to work on other things that will affect the fact that will affect it later. So um thank you so much for um coming on to Autumn is here. One more time, we appreciate your knowledge and wisdom and that you wanting yes. to help, you know, help to get the word out and get any kind of any kind of education on any kind of medical stuff. So I appreciate that. Um I'm hoping that people are listen and they get take information and they they're not afraid to speak up at the, with mm -hmm. the doctors yes. and that they get more involved with their their loved ones their family members because a lot of times um like when my mom went to the doctor she always went by herself she you know i never thought anything of it until one right. time i went and i asked because she was right. acting strange you know so sometimes right. you can't wait you gotta you gotta go visit with them i know they seem like they're okay and they handle everything for you know for right. years but it's good for you to go visit with them and just know their medical history, talk to their doctor and explain certain things. The other thing is, okay, uh, people of that age or era, mm -hmm. you know, they are very com compliant. They don't question doctors. 
Right. Whatever the doctor says, and these doctors, <laughs> they pat them on the back. No, they've known them for all these years. Yeah. Right. Right. But when you go there, and you know, you're going to, last but not the least, okay, this is very important. Social services, you know, right when you realize that your loved one has, you know, Alzheimer's or dementia, you have to enlist the support of social services because you are going to need them. Okay. And then try to join uh, a support group, Alzheimer's or dementia support group, okay? Because they are they they are, they are a wealth of resource that you can tap into. Awesome. Yes, yes, they they need some help to help caregivers to help help their loved ones. Right. Well, thank you again. Thank you for for being on the show. I appreciate it, and um, hope thank to see you again. Okay. God willing, good Lord willing. All right. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye.